Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, head to www.sexedwithdb.com and buy some of our hot new merch. Follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast. And if you want to advertise with us, shoot us an email at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. Today, I get to speak with Dr. Caricia Catalani and Anthony Venezielli, founders of Bloom. Bloom is modernizing sexuality education, helping it become the empathy, safety, and biology education it always should have been. Bloom has three incredible and engaging playbooks for youth ages five and up, seven and up, and nine and up, so parents can start and continue having critical conversations about gender, friendship, boundaries, and so much more. Check them out at bloomscience.org. Here I am with Caricia and Anthony. I bet you baked all the bread and binged all the TV shows during quarantine. But have you created an exact copy of your genitals? Yeah, I didn't think so. Meet Clona Willy. Clona Willy and Clona Pussy are DIY molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of a penis or vulva at home into a high quality sex toy or memento. Check them out at www.clonawilly.com and use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase. Follow them on Instagram at clonawillykit. Want to get your birth control with free delivery? Well, now you can with Pandia Health. Pandia Health makes our lives easier by bringing you birth control wherever you have internet and a mailbox. If you have a prescription, you can move it to their pharmacy and get your birth control delivered. If you don't have one, you can have their expert birth control doctors write you one. Find out more at pandiahealth.com. That's P-A-N-D-I-A health.com and use code SEXEDFREE to get a free telemedicine appointment for the first 50 people who sign up. Follow them on Instagram at Pandia Health. Offer only valid in Arizona, California, Florida, Texas, and Wyoming. Let's talk about why UberLube is one of my absolute favorite lubes. It provides a long-lasting performance that lets skin feel skin. It has simple body and condom-friendly ingredients. It dissipates when no longer needed, so there's no sticky residue. And it's recommended by leading doctors. They're also partnering with us to give a few lucky listeners free lube for a year. Enter the secret code word SLIPPERY into the Google form on our Instagram link tree. And use promo code SEXEDDB for 10% off your purchase with free shipping at www.uberlube.com. Sex Ed with DB is supported by Emojibator. Emojibator believes in humor and education to promote a society that celebrates pleasure. Their fun and affordable collection of vibrators is inspired by the sexiest of emojis. That means eggplants, chili peppers, bananas, and pickles. Oh my! They even have a line of adorable animal toys like a kitty cat, chicky, and whale that do a whole bunch of naughty things. Find all of their body safe toys for pleasure at emojibator.com and use code SEXEDWITHDB for 25% off your purchase. Caricia and Anthony, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing this evening? 
Good, good. Thank you. Um, it's so nice to be here. It's a wild time. We're really happy to have this opportunity to chat and catch up. Thanks for having us here. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> burr, 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 burr. Yes, um, very, very happy to have you. Uh, as I've mentioned to you both, and I put a you know a little snippet out into the world, I do unfortunately have COVID, kind of crazy, kind of weird. I only know like two other people who have gotten it. It's very strange. Um, but, you know, luckily, I do not have very bad symptoms. So I'm really glad to be here with you recording. So thanks so much for making the time. Um, let's let's dive in. I would love to know both of your names again, pronouns and what you both do. All right, let's do this. I'm Carisia Catalani, she, her, and I am a designer and health scientist, and I work on mostly innovations for um, hard-to-solve health problems. I'm Anthony Veneziali, he, him, his preferred pronouns, um, and I am an improviser. I'm a freestyle rapper. I'm a producer, a writer. Um, I am a business owner, a startup entrepreneur. I have two companies, one called Speechless which is at speechlessinc.com, and then Freestyle of Supreme Academy, which has come out of the show Freestyle of Supreme, which was on Broadway pre-COVID times. Yes, it was. And I saw it, and we talked about this. I saw it last year on my birthday. This year on my birthday, I got diagnosed with COVID. And last year on my birthday, I was uh, watching Freestyle of Supreme. So what a difference a year makes. Um <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, pretty insane. Um, but wow. So both of you clearly are very, very busy, very, very entrepreneurial. You both have a lot of titles that would not fit on a business card, it seems. Um, so good thing that LinkedIn exists. And you also are parents. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yes. So we, well, I can speak about myself, which is I'm the proud father of two amazingly independent young female uh, presenting daughters of now. Um, and they are just independent firecrackers who are really, really <laughs> strong and um, have definite opinions in the world. It's true. They were born that way. <laughs> right out of yeah, the womb. And I have, um, we've been parents for now 10 years. Our daughter just turned 10 last week. And we also have a seven-year-old. Um, so that makes them a, a first grader and fourth grader. Amazing. And I'm so glad to hear that they have such wonderful, you know, loving parents who are experts, I would say, in different kinds of parenting. And also, um, you are both passionate about sex education. So I want to know, what are your backgrounds as it pertains to sex ed? And how did you become passionate about it? Yeah, of course. Well, um, I mean, there's so many layers to that question, because as humans, sex education is just part of your own personal journey in life, lifelong journey, lifelong learning. Your sexual um, career. A, as they put it in the, the Netherlands, your sexual career. It's got many, many phases. Um, but for me, from a formal point of view, I started um, focusing on sexual and reproductive health um, as a part of my public health training. So I have a master's of public health from the um, from Columbia University, the Mailman School, and I focused there on reproductive and sexual health. So, Part, so hold on. A, you just dropped a name here. Sorry. It says Columbia. Keep going. <laughs> um, so I, I started focusing there and really, really um, – 
became pretty passionate about the question of health disparities as far as sexual health is concerned. And that by that, I mean, why is it that some people um, are more likely to get HIV um, and die of AIDS? Why is it that some people are more likely to get pregnant um, un unplanned? Why is it that some people have an incredible access to care and pleasure and others do not? And I think it's a big public health epidemic that has long pre-existed the epidemic we're currently living in and has claimed more lives and um, and caused more pain and suffering um, across really many, 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 many human generations. And so there's just something about that problem that felt like it was not only an incredible incredibly important to health of our nation, but also a social justice issue. So mm. it, it really um, impassioned me. And so I decided to even continue and got a doctorate. Um, I felt on my doctorate, I focused on, you know, new digital technologies, kind of asking the question, like, what could, what can we do to innovate in this space? Um, because clearly what we'd tried in the past wasn't working too hot. Um, and so, you know, from there, I started becoming really focused on design and the question of, how do we design better interventions, design better products, design better services to improve sexual and reproductive health and particularly improve it among the communities that are most hard hit? Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, short answer for me is I fell in love with a person who was very passionate. Oh, so cute. Uh, about health disparities. Um, one, because it affected her personally and she saw what it meant um, to grow up impoverished and um, and not have access to what other kids had access to and other parents had access to, um, including families who were recent arrivals. Um, and that really struck a chord with me. I, my parent, my father is a proud immigrant of uh, Italian heritage and Carisi's family is um, Indonesian heritage. And there's something about that sort of immigrant story that I think binds the two of us in interesting ways. But equally importantly, we just love um, supporting each other's work. So there's something uh, I often think of, of our relationship a bit like a trellis in that there are vines that grow up this trellis and that they interwine with each other, but they're not there for support. Uh, solely. Sometimes it'll support one branch and sometimes it'll go off to the other side and veer another way. And we've often had those moments where they, they braided together and, and health uh, is in particular, you know, parenting and sexuality education recently has, has come. But prior to that, we did a big project around um, leveraging social media and video documentary storytelling to help people change their communities to have what is called community-based participatory research and the input of stakeholders from the community level at the decision-making level. Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. And it's it's just so interesting. We've talked about this like before recording, but as you know, Carisia, I also went to Columbia Mailman. I graduated in May, also studied sexual and reproductive health there. Um, also, you know, went to UC Berkeley for my undergrad. You teach there. You're, we're very intertwined. Um, and I, as I've shared with Anthony, do improv and I'm a singer and totally see the ways that these things can combine. And I just really uh, appreciated what you said about design and also Anthony, what you said about com community participatory research, really just including the people 
who you're going to be making these interventions for. And I think that's especially essential when we're talking about kids, which is what we will be talking about next. So I want to know, what is Bloom and what really inspired the design of the Bloom playbooks? I know that there's a story of you all going to the Netherlands. Maybe can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I I think like most great things in my life, um, there was a spark that uh, was lit in Carisia around an, <laughs> an opportunity. So, you know, she had been working at IDEO for a while and, and does a lot of design research and design thinking to implement product creation or experience creation. And there was an organization that they were partnering with called Power to Decide. And Power to Decide is this wonderful, wonderful um, uh, organization that that helps their main mission is around teen pregnancy, but they're really interested in innovation in the sexuality and education space. And so they put out a call for innovative solutions to these big problems. And Creasy said, what if, or as as she likes to put it in her design thinking um, terminology, how might we, you know, an HMW. <laughs> so the how might we was, we're recent parents and we've been reading some books. I think the one that had the kind of biggest impact on us was Girls and Sex, the Peggy Ornstein book. Um, and we have two daughters. Uh, currently, they're presenting as daughters. Um, and they are going to be entering a vicious ecosystem of sexual abuse. And there's a lot of of terrible sexual sexual outcomes here in the United States. So I think the the how might we was how might we help intervene earlier so that kids can grasp and understand what these concepts are around sex and sexuality so that it is not shaming, so that it is not divisive, so that it's inclusive, so that it's playful, and so that it's uh, approachable. And I, I think that for me, you know, there's this incredible opportunity to work with Power to Decide and 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 we were reading, you know, that if if we didn't step in, that I, that the internet, specifically porn, was going to teach our kids about sexuality, and that it was going to happen a lot younger than we thought it would. Yeah, it was going to happen between the ages of eight, nine, or ten. And you know, most parents are not thinking about sexual education for their kids at that age. They're still so far away from puberty. I mean, they just literally learn the the, the term me, <laughs> like leg, head. So, you know, we thought, surely we live in San Francisco, one of the finest liberal cities here in the United States. Uh, we go to an incredible public school. It's an incredibly diverse place, but also really thoughtful teachers. So we thought, surely they are going to have something in their curriculum to help support not just our kids, but, you know, the entire community. And so we went and sat in on our, our kids' sexual health education and had a huge shocker. <laughs> well, it wasn't even our kids. It was, it was just the fifth graders. At our kids' school, yeah. Yeah, so only fifth graders get this, what is it, one-off class that's somewhere between 35 and 45 minutes. And you hear the squeaky wheels. And I was like, I was immediately brought back to like my high school days when I was on the audio visual club, I would help set up TVs and VCRs inside of classrooms. It was like one of my like, Hey, yeah, I like video. <laughs> um, and I heard that noise. you know, we heard that noise and it turns out it was a tube television that was only used this one time a year. And it was an actual VHS player 
with a V, you know, a VCR hooked to it so that the VHS could go into it, which was from 1984. It was by three, two, one contact. And it was a 30 minute video. And that was the only interaction these kids had around sexuality education in elementary school. And they had to have a tube television and a VCR because the VHS was the only approved teaching mechanism for, for our kids. And it just blew our minds. And what we, we realized when we started asking teachers and administrators and our principal, you know, what is up with this? They just said, you know, it's parents that are that fight us every step of the way. We want to educate kids. We want we see we see what's happening in the world. We want to keep people's kids safe. Um, but we just, you know, even the broaching the topic is is like, you know, touching an electric fence. You just don't do it. And so we thought, okay, if parents are the problem, then I guess parents have to be the solution. <laughs> That's right. So, so how could we leverage our community, the parents, and then create something that was like a third party intervention inside of the schools so that the teachers didn't feel like it was a, a live wire, right? So it wasn't the third rail. Um, and that's how Bloom kind of really started was, uh, how might we questions and then interviewing lots of parents and then finding models that were successful elsewhere. And because we're in the United States, it was super easy to find nothing in our country. <laughs> oh, you can find things in college. There's some interesting college programs. Yeah, yeah. Still, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's actually a sexology program in, at the University of Kentucky. It's like one of two in the entire. UCSF has a good program. But I, I didn't want our kids to have to wait until college. You know, when you look at the rates of, um, of you know, people's sexual debut, and the rates of exposure to sexually explicit content, that was missing the boat by 10, 15 years when <laughs> we did that totally. Yeah. So we knew we needed to, to go outside to find out who was doing this well and how did it work. Um, so we did a bunch of research and learned that we did what any good parents would do. We went to Amsterdam and we learned from professionals. Because <laughs> that that's where it twerks. gets done. That's it's right. true. It was amazing. So they have the best uh, sexual health outcomes in the world, especially among teens and children um, is in the in the Netherlands. And we learned that that was not by an accident. Right. By design. <laughs> it didn't have always used to be that way. Um, and it was really a, quite an intentional effort that began in the 80s. And we could learn from I think it's like 20, 30, 40 years of experience implementing really effective programs. Mm. And what we would hear from the Dutch teachers, administrators, curriculum designers when we asked them, you know, how did how did you create this program? They said, Oh God, you you Americans are just so emotional about this. Stop letting your feelings get in the way and just do the rational thing. The rational thing is give your children the words they need <laughs> to explain their body. Give their children the, the knowledge they need to, to talk about the absolutely biological, universal things that they're experiencing. I mean, that is correct. I mean, I think like <laughs> the just thinking of it as a purely scientific thing of like, well, these are just like body parts and they should know the names or this is communication and they should know how to do that with a friend or with a partner. Like it's just very, very level headed when you really get down to it. Yeah, there's one great quote that I remember from one of the educators over there. And, you know, we asked, we said, well, oh, how do you, you know, get the parents on board to to participate, you know, have their kids participate in in the curriculum? And they said, what do you mean participate? It's like math. They're, they're not going to say no to math. 
it's the same thing. Understanding how your body works is the same as learning how to do two plus two. So it's just integrated. It's not divorced from church and state. And, and that's, that's a big part of it as well. And, and there's also, look, there's, there's waves of people who are coming to, to the Netherlands who are Syrian refugees, who, who are displaced, and they have very different beliefs. And so there is friction around it. It's not like a magic wand, right? There are going to be different beliefs around how sex and sexuality works inside of a culture, inside of a religion. Um, and that's that's changing in the Netherlands right now in, in some interesting ways, in some friction ways. But there's a lot there for us to, to take and, and other countries have as well. And one of the things that we learned is they start in kindergarten and they do it integrated into other topics. Um, it's part, it's science, it's biology, it's, it's literature. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, really not, uh, separated and stigmatized. And yeah. they, if you start in kindergarten before kids have a strong sense of what's taboo and not, then, then you open up the possibility that people can use those words that they can um, communicate with each other about t really complex topics. Yeah. And so by the time you were in, in high school, we got to sit in on um, a high school class. They were so casually throwing around words that we saw kids literally melt into their hoodies when they <laughs> when it was said here in the U.S. classroom. Like the word penis, someone would just die in a classroom and then there'd be one kid who'd be like use that as his excuse to interrupt the whole classroom turn it into a big joke it was like you could not even use the word um and then just watching kids really maturely talk about it not that there weren't feelings attached but they're just the stigma wasn't there mm -hmm. completely yes and before i i do have a follow-up about like what age-appropriate sex ed really looks like for a kindergartner. But first, I want to know about your playbooks. Tell me more about those, about the Bloom playbooks. What what do those look like? Who are they for? And what are they, yeah, what what happens inside of them? Well, that's a, this, it was so incredibly fun to design these playbooks. Um, you know, Anthony's specialty is really play and using play <laughs> as a tool to do hard things. Um, and I think that hard one hard thing is talking to your kindergartner about sexuality for many for many parents. Um, many parents who we met who were deeply liberal, feminist, you know, wild parents about their own sexuality. They're like, oh, my God, no, I can't talk to my <laughs> I tried. I couldn't do it. And so we knew we needed to make we needed to diffuse this by making it something light and playful. Where you had permission to laugh. You had permission to joke. And Anthony is actually really, really good at that. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, and it's funny, a lot of it's actually steeped in some of the insights around, you know, community-based participatory decision-making and then how you leverage uh, var various pedagogy, like, for example, Frarian pedagogy, which is much more about saying the wisdom of the room is greater than any one person. You know, it's, it's anti-bank deposit style learning. Um, and, and we believe that to be very true. Like most learning, especially at that age, is experiential. So what does experiential look like? It means playing a game. What does playing a game look like? In this instance, it can range anything from being a detective and figuring out what, how different things feel against your, your skin. Um, it, it can go all the way up to interviewing your parents about something that's going to embarrass them. Um, and, you know, turning all of these opportunities in, in, into 
basically moments where you can be good scene partners with each other and really listen and learn from each other. I think it's it's so fun because the, the playbooks um, ended up really they're just a bunch of games bound into a book, um, which I'm really glad we did because it's so easy to send a book a, in the mail. It's so like a book is a known quantity. A book is something you can reproduce over and over. And um, and we're hoping to publish um, the next version really soon. Um, it's, books are just such fantastic um, already built into our culture things that parents and kids do together. They sit and read a book together, especially when kids are really young. Yeah. And, and you read to your kids almost every, oh, well, we read to our kids every night. Not, I don't know if everybody. <laughs> a, lot a lot of people of do. do. Yeah. I think it's a good way to connect at the end of the day and nice way f- to, to get kids interested in learning at a really young age. Yeah. And what we, what we learned is that there were a lot of beautiful, like gorgeously illustrated storybooks out mm, there. Sex is a funny word. I love that one. We loved that one. Like um, Julianne is a mermaid. Oh, yeah. There's all of these books that are starting to really lightly for young audiences bring up ideas about gender, about equity, about consent, about safety, about where babies come from. And uh, dare we say it, pleasure. <laughs> you can say it. This is the place. This is the place. Um, but what, and those are great. And we actually, we own all of those and we love them and we recommend them to everyone. But what those don't have is you, you know, you close the book and you didn't really talk about it. So you haven't really created moments where a parent gets to demonstrate to a kid, like, I am open to having a conversation right. with you about these things. Yeah. Let me be vulnerable. Yeah. 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 And I think it just creates this really lovely pattern that if you start really young, before there's all these giggles and taboo, you've created a, um, a pattern where your kids already know by the time any of these things come up that you are totally open to talking about it with them, that you're open to being serious, you're open to laughing, you're open to telling your own stories, yeah. you're open to admitting that like you failed at this too sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and to experimenting and to learning from failure and to trying, being resilient. I think that's another huge part of this as well. Yeah. Totally. And also like uh, kind of speaking to what you said before, just about like parents not necessarily having the tools or knowing what to say to like teach their young kid and even sometimes their older kid, you know, the appropriate information. And that's because, again, our American society is not set up to support parents in that way. You know, we say like parents are like, well, no, they can just learn that at school. And school is like, no, they can just learn that at home. And the kid is just stuck because there's nowhere for them to (laughs) accurately get that information. So that that quickly though to the like age appropriate sex ed for a kindergartner you guys kind of mentioned some of these things but just to bring that back like that also can look like sharing communication you know like setting boundaries saying no what are some of the other kinds of themes that come up for you all for this age group for for all the playbooks we kind of have broken it down into three buckets um currently and and it tends to be biology it tends to be empathy and safety. So that we tested and all parents are gung-ho about that. All parents are like, yeah, I want my kids to be safe. I want my kids to have empathy and I'd love for them to know biology. Um, so biology for you know that young of an age, we wanna start using the appropriate terms. So it really ends up being a bit of a sticker book. It's like, here are some breasts, put them on a body. Here are some testicles. Here is a penis. Um, how can you put this into a, a you know a different place? And and what does it look like? 
Um, there's also some maze work that happens, you know, and like they get to kind of follow the journey of a, of a sperm. Um, Cute. you know, those are some of the ones in biology. Uh, we talk a little bit about uh, gender in biology and uh, how gender um, shows up differently and how different bodies look different ways. And it's uh, your identity might be different from the way that your body looks. Um, and, and we don't, for kindergartners, we really don't get into a lot of the very, um, I guess, like adult vocabulary. There's just really simple terms like your rapper might not look like what's inside. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, just introducing that concept is really big. We have currently broken it down into K through first, second through third, and fourth through fifth. And there's a bit of a journey arc too inside of that between, oh, what does safety for a kinder and first grader look like? It's mostly about communications in friendships. Like how do you be a good friend? And there's good secrets, bad secrets. So the, the kinder and, and first arc kind of works in a certain way and then second and third and then what's appropriate for fourth and fifth graders is very different from what's appropriate for k through first graders but you kind of have to lay the foundation early on totally yeah. yeah i think what's really what's really important to know is that there's a lot of what we learned is that there are so many books and learning resources available for kids once they start to be around the age of puberty so you know around puberty suddenly there's all these books and you know, they're not quite what i would like to see in terms of really confronting equity and gender and um, and consent. But I feel like there's 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 books that you can buy that are like, this is what a period is, um, 12 year old. <laughs> yes, but there actually is very, very little that starts to introduce some of these basic concepts at a younger age. Like how to make a friendship pizza. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. We'll we'll take a picture of that. We'll take a screenshot maybe and, and send that to people. Um, on social yeah. media, but I love that. That's amazing. We're, we're happy to share um, all sorts of images. Um, but I think what's really interesting to me is that as the kids get older, the books get more complex. Um, you know, kids are suddenly they're suddenly they're literate and they are more sophisticated. So you can start handing them really interesting, hard challenges. You can include more complex stories. Um, but when they're younger, it's a lot of really like big visuals, really robust and engaging games that are for that are really built for a parent and a kid to do together because that's the the norm is when your five-year-old is quote-unquote reading because most five-year-olds don't read, you're doing it together. Right. So a lot of them, I think the topics change because what's relevant to those ages change, but so do so does the complexity. But each yeah. year we still hit on these same basic Three things, empathy, biology, and safety. Right. But by fourth and fifth grade, safety looks a little bit like, okay, what's online safety? Yeah. Right. How do we make sure that we're, we're understanding the imagery that we're seeing, especially since it's being in some ways, you know, we're surprised by it or bombarded by it or targeted by it. Um, and so having the skills to understand what you're looking at and how to prevent that if that's something you don't want to have happen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough with like, you know, there's TikTok and there's YouTube and there's Snapchat and there's just so many mm. Omegle. Do you guys know about this? It's kind of like, I don't, when I was like in high school, there was like chat roulette where you kind of like were, do you know about chat roulette? No. You're, okay. You're you're like the youngest person we talked to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Chat roulette was this thing where you would like 
go on video like with your friends or whatever by yourself and then you would like click a button and it would randomize like people from all over the world that you could video (laughs) chat with and now it's back as like it's called omegle and that's the new thing but like kids are on there like chatting with strangers and more often than not there are unsolicited like penis pics so it's kind of like okay what is happening how do we like you know talk to our our kids about these things that will inevitably happen if they're using apps and if they're using YouTube and how to safely navigate and not shame. That's the key, right? Is like there's so much like in American movies and TV shows where it's like, oh, this is a very shameful thing and that's why I should feel shame about it. But I think it's really about figuring out how to talk to your kids in this way that's like giving them accurate information with boundaries, but without judgment. And I think that is like probably a main thing that your books are aiming to do is just like really to normalize these topics and these kinds of conversations. Yeah. And what we heard over and over and over again from all the parents that we talked to was we want to do it differently than it was done for us. And for a long time, the resource of a community around sexuality and sex education was a religion was it tended to come from either you know church or synagogue uh, there were certain customs and beliefs around what sex and sexuality was and i'm not saying our country is is becoming less and less secular i think there are there are lots of different people in our country and and, and one belief isn't necessarily better than the other, but most parents had a terrible relationship to what that version of sexuality education was. And so there's not much there. There's, there's just, there aren't many resources in this way. It makes me, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with this really cool um, initiative called the, the school of life. Mm-mm. Um. Well, Creasy introduced me to it, so I'll let you talk a little bit about it. But in some ways, we're trying to be what School of Life is for for adults. Uh, we're trying to be that for kids around sexuality education. Yeah, I think that the School of Life is just is socio-emotional education for adults. And a lot of times we find that like uh, the parents that we speak to and you know, when we ask the question, how do you want to teach sexuality to, uh, you know, to your children? They're like, God, how do I want to teach it to myself? Yeah. <laughs> Like, I've got some issues around this. I have a lot of, I have a lot of shame. I have a lot of vulnerability about this. I have a lot of, I have regrets. I have just a whole bucket of my own feelings to deal with. How am I supposed to be some sort of a mentor to someone else? I only saw how my parents did it. And all I know is how not to do it. (laughs) Yeah. And that's everyone's story too. My mom, same thing. And like, you know, I, I don't know if I've shared this with you guys, but my mom's an OBGYN and like a big reason why I feel like I'm interested in sex ed is because like I saw her kind of like care for women and care for people's sexual health like at a very young age. But even, like I've had her on the podcast every season and one season I was just like, hey, mom, let's talk about like how you definitely tried your best, but like would shame me every time I would masturbate <laughs> and just like really <laughs> confronted her about that in, in, you know, a safe way. I told her I was going to do it. It wasn't like I was like, let's call you out right now. But it very much is the kind of thing of like, even doctors, even people with like the medical expertise, like don't have the tools to be like, hey, I'm noticing you're masturbating a lot. Like, let's talk about that. Or as long as you have your, you know, you're doing it in the privacy of your own room, like that's okay or whatever, you know, there was just never a conversation. And I, I don't, I think again, our parents and like, 
grandparents like did the best I believe with what they had but like it's an issue that this is the year that we're in and there's so much like you said technology and so much innovation and you know there's still not widespread information and education pleasure focused medically accurate you know x Mm -hmm. y and z for young people so totally hear all that um, I have yeah. I have one last question for you all, which is how can people learn more about Bloom and how can they access your materials? And also like a follow up is where do you kind of see Bloom going in the next couple years? Yeah, good questions. Well, you can find out all sorts of everything or more about our story. Um, there's a, a shop to buy playbooks and a kind of curated list of our favorite, favorite books that we did not write but we think everyone should read. <laughs> and games and tools as well. Yeah. Uh, on www.bloomscience.org. And at bloomscience.org, um, you can also check out more of the details of the playbooks. Um, they're available digitally, um, although I love the printed versions because there's there's card games in the back that you can pull out that are perforated and um, all sorts of interactive activities that are, are nicely produced in the, in the physical versions. Um we were really, really lucky to um, to get a ton of su- support from our funders, um, other parents and families to offer discount codes to people who have had a rough year, which is basically everyone. <laughs> so you can find on our website um, promo um, discounts, um, 50% off for, for anyone who feels like it's been a tough year. <laughs> Act now. Supplies are limited. <laughs> Loopscience.org. But truly, supplies are limited because we did the first run, and um, we are now, it's early, early days, but we're in conversations with a publisher to help us to publish the next version. Um, you know, we did this ourselves, a, a work of of passion and grit. Uh, we are not publishers. Uh, in our mini list of things that we described that we say, do, are you sure? Because I'm going to go through your, you know, your business cards and make sure that's not in there. <laughs> Well, I mean, we did publish these, so that's true. Maybe we should add that we're one-time publishers. <laughs> but we we knew from the beginning that one of the things we wanted to do is ensure that more people had access to these books, and that part of doing that was finding a great um, g- global publisher who felt like they got they got the goal and the and the values behind this book, but also could help us to produce something really beautiful that could be in bookshops around the U.S. and and we hope to make an announcement sometime in the next six months around who that publisher will be. Um, but uh, we are really excited about expanding access. Incredible. Did you have anything to add, Anthony? Uh, no, I think it just wrapped back into the supplies limited because <laughs> we're talking about the next version with a bigger publishing house. Oh, exciting. That is very exciting. Okay, well... Thank you so much, both of you, for being on. I really, really appreciate your time. I am always game to talk sex ed, but this was particularly inspiring. You're our first parents' perspective that we've had on the podcast. So, we did it. You did it. We did it together. First. Um, first. So first. thank you both so much. We still talk about sex. Yeah. <laughs> Crushing it. But thank you both so much for being on. I am very, very appreciative. Oh my gosh! Thank you for having us, especially yes. given the- you have COVID. <laughs> oh wow. God, don't even it's remind me. It. No, the cause. I don't know what it. <laughs> Want to win a year's worth of free lube? Yeah, I'll bet you do. 
All you have to do is enter the secret code word into the Uberlube Google form on our Instagram link tree, and bam, you're entered to win that sweet, sweet year's worth of lube. I'll bet you want to know what that code word is right about now, don't you? Okay, fine, I'll tell you, but don't tell anyone. The secret code word is slippery. Enter that word into the Google form on our Instagram link tree and you'll be entered to win. Good luck. If you're someone in a long distance relationship, quarantine can be especially difficult without your boo. What if you could have an exact replica of your partner's penis or vulva to use as a sex toy? Learn more at www.clonawilly.com and use promo code SEXED20 for 20% off your purchase. Sex Ed with DB is supported by Pandia Health, the only doctor-led birth control delivery company. Here are some fun facts about Pandia Health. Most birth control is free with insurance or for $15 per pack without. Your birth control comes with free delivery and free goodies. And you can get an online doctor visit if you need it, which is perfect during COVID-19. Go to pandiahealth.com. That's P-A-N-D-I-A health.com and use code SEXEDFREE to get a free telemedicine appointment for the first 50 people who sign up. Offer only valid in Arizona, California, Florida, Texas, and Wyoming. Our creator, co-producer, sound engineer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, aka DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our main logo and banner graphic were created by Andrea Forgotch. Our social media intern is Leslie Lopez. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. If you're interested in advertising with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Insta at sexedwithdbpodcast. Tune in next time.